Hey, I'm Jake Humphrey, and you're listening to High Performance, our conversation for you every single week. This is the podcast that reminds you that it's within. Your ambition, your purpose, your story, it's there. We just help unlock it by turning the lived experiences of the planet's highest performers into your life lessons. So right now, allow myself and Professor Damien Hughes to speak to the greatest leaders, thinkers, entrepreneurs, and in this case, sports stars on the planet, and just let them be your teacher. This podcast isn't about high achievement or high success. It's celebrating the right stuff. High happiness, high self-worth, high self-care. Today, this awaits you. Being written about from such a young age, it's not when you had an opportunity to respond as well. It makes you sort of believe what people are saying about you, but it's a snippet of your life. It's part of your life. It's not who you are. I didn't feel like I was good enough. I didn't feel valued I would like walk down the street like especially when I was like 22 23 and people would look at me and straight away I'd be like what they're saying about me and as soon as they lock eyes and double lock eyes I'm thinking oh they're saying something bad about me straight away live and die into your passion go into it because whatever your desire is it will allow you to figure out more about who you are too life's gonna come doesn't mean I've got it sorted at all like no doubt other things are gonna happen in the world where it affects you but my ability to handle it now, I believe, is in a much better state. And it doesn't mean that it's always great, but the consistency of my happiness is, is unparalleled to how I used to feel. I never spoke about this, so it's weird to have these emotions. I don't feel sad, so don't, don't worry about that. Um, Just to be clear for people, you're talking about buying a gun to take your own life here. Yeah. Wow, I think that that very small teaser gives you an insight into what we're going to hear today from Danny Cipriani, without doubt one of the most naturally gifted players to ever pull on a rugby jersey, someone who came into English rugby with so much hope attached to him. And the journey and the story is somewhat different, perhaps, to the one that people were expecting. And I was thinking a lot about how to introduce this episode, because I think it's so important that we don't just think we have to learn from the people who found life easy and been super successful. Because what can they really teach us? Sure, there are things that we can learn from them, but actually it's the struggle and it's the challenge and it's the reframing of our perspective that I really think the deep learning comes from. And as you know, I'm a big fan of stoic thinking. And I just want to share a quote from Epictetus that I was thinking about while we were talking to Danny. And it is, hold unhappy man. Be not swept along with your impressions. Great is the struggle. Divine the task. The prize is a kingdom. Freedom, serenity, peace. And you're going to hear just what a challenge the last few years has been for Danny, both in and outside of rugby. But I think that quote from Epictetus that ends with freedom, serenity, peace. Those are the three things that he's found. And those are the three things that we are constantly searching for. And if Danny can go through what he's been through and find them, then we need to listen to his story because we too can find them and he can help us to do just that. So look, I really hope that you get a lot from this episode. As always, there's only two things I ask of you to pass the podcast on either by sharing it on your social media or just sending it to someone that you think could help. And I think this episode, particularly the conversation around mental health and the challenge of daily life for some people is something that you need to pass on to others. And if you can also subscribe to our podcast, the vast majority of people that listen don't subscribe. And it's really helpful to us if you can just click the follow button or click the subscribe button. 
Right, let's do it then. Time to get you closer to your own version of high performance by listening to one of the most remarkable conversations we've had in the 150 plus episodes of this podcast. It's a reminder that we can learn from anyone and any situation. Welcome to High Performance and thank you for your honesty, Danny Cipriani. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. I always start with what is high performance, but I want to start a bit differently actually okay. today. We will get to that point. But I think for someone who so many people have had an opinion about and who's been in the public eye for so many years and has got such a fascinating story, I'm interested in just knowing how you feel now about doing things like this. Like what does, yeah. what does today um, draw out of you emotionally? Coming into it, I have these old feelings of like sitting in an interview and saying what I meant to say and talking how I'm meant to talk. And even now, like, I feel this like energy going through me of like, fuck, you got to say the right thing, right? But that isn't the way that I want to live my life. That's not who I am because I've been told my whole life who I am and what I am through all my errors and my mistakes and not, not my mistakes, but experiences. And I can even feel myself getting like going into it now. Um, and what does that do for you then when you go into that? Does it remove the truth in some, or the real you? It, it doesn't remove the truth like previously it would have. Like, yeah. I, I guess when you see a lot of athletes give interviews, it's very straight down the line. But for me, it was like, you know what? The play inside of it was easy. Not easy. I don't want to disrespect the work and the effort and everything that goes into it and the hours and so on. And when school finished, when I was 17, I'd get on a train for an hour and a half, do sprint training, get home at 9 p.m. All that stuff is all well and good. But the playing side of it for me was the easier part because mm. I was able to be free of thought. I was able to lock into what I was doing. The difficult part was afterwards was like how I felt, how tormented I feel. I had to always be distracted. You know, I had shame. I had fear. I had all these things going on and being written about from such a young age. It's not when you had an opportunity to respond as well. It makes you sort of believe what people are saying about you but it's a snippet of your life it's yeah. part of your life it's not who you are and then comes entitlement then becomes anger then comes people talking about you and then you get this backup and you're like oh no f them it's them they shouldn't be talking about me like that like why do they always pull a story out just before england selection like you know my phone was tapped for seven years like there's crazy stuff that's gone on i would get this blame mentality because you're feeling like everyone's on you but ultimately, you have to look at self too. And, you know, the way I was behaving and, and the things I was doing, it's not a right or wrong thing, but my life sent me that way because I was looking for that. I was looking for that feeling, that dopamine effect, that love, that affection or whatever it might have been. And I had to understand that truly before I could become who I am today. Like, you know, happy, you know, I feel like I've reverse time I'm, I feel like I'm 20 again like before all the stories happened and um just sitting here and speaking about it so 
like I've never done this. Like it feels strange, you know. Emotional. Well, clearly, <laughs> like, yeah. it's coming so, out of me. Where, where's that come from then? I guess it's just I didn't feel like I was good enough. I didn't feel valued. I would like walk down the street, like especially when I was like 22, 23, and people would look at me and straight away I'd be like, what they're saying about me. And as soon as they lock eyes and double lock eyes, I'm thinking, oh, they're saying something bad about me straight away. And that's how I felt then. But I don't know. And it's okay for me to feel the emotion and go through it. And that's why I'm in the process of doing this. Um, so it, for me, I've got a real passion about athletes being able to express themselves truly. And it's something I know felt I could. And whenever you see a bit of emotion being shown by an athlete, you know, the media jump on them. Look at Anthony Joshua after his fight, like might not have been the right time, might not have been the right thing to say, but there was a true sense of him coming out. Like, let's, let's dive into that. Let's, let's celebrate that. And I just feel like, man, you walk around with a straight jacket a long, a long time, especially in this country and the way things are viewed. So one of the people that I spoke to before we met was Brian Ashton, mm. who spoke about you were somebody that really responded to having questions asked of you and being able to pose the answers. So tell us before we get into the interview then, Danny, what questions should we be asking of you to give you this platform to, to give the best version of you? Uh, I don't know, just a human conversation, man. Like, I'm sure I'll warm up into it and I'll get into it. And, you know, I, I feel as soon as you put cameras and mics in front of people, it's a different feel, yeah. isn't it? And, you know, I've always been trying to get to the top or play for England or be seen to be doing the right things, especially because my off-field behavior at time would put me in a certain bracket. And, you know, I'd, I, I firstly had to accept a lot of things internally and, and myself to to be able to sit here and give this type of interview that I, I want to give. Um, so the right question is a difficult one. It's just us going through the story, talking about it, whatever comes up, the, the good times, the sad times, the emotions, like I'm willing to express and be vulnerable with all because I'm very comfortable with who I am now. I'd love to go back to the freedom that yeah. you had as a young guy. And even when I say that word, you're like a smile on no, your face. I feel face it now. I feel it now. Like, I feel the freedom still like, to this day. Like, for a long time I didn't, but for sure, like, it's back. So you're back to having that freedom. I suppose my heart breaks for you a bit, if I'm totally honest, <laughs> because, you know, there's lots of parents in this room and we all want amazing things for our kids. And my wife is a big rugby fan. Dreams of the day our boy plays rugby, right? And I look at your story and I think, you had so much freedom. The dream arrived and things happened that removed all the joy and it's only afterwards when that moment was gone and it would never come back that you can find the freedom again. And for you to sit here and have a smile on your face is like incredible bravery and a huge respect to you for that. I just, I'm heartbroken for the fact that things conspired and you made decisions and things were stacked up that took those golden moments away from you. Uh, yeah. I just would love to go back to the, the, the period of freedom and work out how this happened. Well, like firstly, I'm not heartbroken about it. So don't be... Yeah for me because how you let go of that then it's those experiences were what I needed I needed to face those I needed to grow into who I am now I didn't have the traditional paternal and maternal framework or guidance from my parents to be like certain things you know I was just this free loving young conf confident happy kid like thrust into it and then life was like this is how you're meant to behave 
I'm like, but I am behaving. Boom, no, this is how you're meant to behave, whether it be a story or whether it be whatever's happening. And when did that own, first happen then? Probably when I came out of a nightclub on a Wednesday night and I was playing for England on the Saturday. But I literally popped in there for 15 minutes and on the back of that, I was on the front page the next day and Brian himself had to not select me because of the pressure he was feeling from the RFU. Oh, we can't be seen to be doing that. I understand it, like poor decision. I get that. But then from then on, it was like spotlight on. It, it started at 16 when I was in the National Academy with Brian, but from then on, it was like properly on. And then the experience of like going out with people that were well known and going in that environment, like that was all, all part of it. But I don't feel sad for any of those moments or I've not really? lost anything because it's created the person that I am now and and the emotions and the turns and the ties, the ups and the downs, everything I've been through and how I'm still sat here happy and confident. Like I feel untouchable in that sense because, really? you know, vulnerability is strength and you don't see it. You don't see it, especially in our country. You don't see athletes coming across and doing that as much. And there's lots of reasons why, and I'm sure we'll get into it, you know, at a later date in this conversation. But yeah, I think vulnerability is key. I'm so pleased you say that. I mean, and that is a true sign of strength. Yeah, definitely. But take us back to that period when you said, I didn't grow up with a traditional Mm. maternal, paternal background. What did you grow up with? Well, um, I'm mixed race and my dad's black and my mum's white, but obviously I'm white skinned. So had lots of confusion around that growing up. But, you know, I was just happy, like happy guy, just doing whatever. And then- What was was the the confusion around that? Explain that to people. Well, for me, I felt more connected to the black side of my family because- there was my dad and there was all my cousins, auntie, uncles, but yet I'm white skinned. So I would always kind of gravitate towards, you know, my best friend's black. Like it's, it's just the way it was. Um, then you feel like you're too white for your black friends or you're too black for your white. It's just an odd feeling that you would have felt, you know, at different points when I was younger. Did you never feel that you quite belonged anywhere? I think that is a, an underlying feeling I would have felt a lot because I grew up in a counter state then ended up playing rugby going to good schools. So my environment was very different to the rest of the rugby players. So I wasn't as good as, you know, keeping my mouth closed and saying yes, sir, no, sir. If I felt a coach was being disrespectful or, or whatever it might've been, I was very honest in how I spoke, not in a rude manner, but you know, if I have a view, you know, at my club, it was heard at, at Wasps, it was heard. Then when I went to England and I had the same view, yeah. um, at the time, say like a Martin Johnson, he didn't he didn't respond as well to it because his environment was different. Leicester was the old school mentality. You have to shut up and put up and get along with it. And that's no discredit to him. That was just his environment. And, yep. and so that sort of relationship broke down. Um, I'm really intrigued by that. Yeah. Of you're growing up on a council estate and then you go into a private school. Tell us how that felt for you. Because again, that's dislocation you describe about not feeling quite enough to fit into the black or the white community must have been exacerbated by the other kids from your estate weren't going to private schools. Kids from your private schools weren't going to your council estate. So how did that feed into it? I think when you're young, you don't, you're not sitting there feeling it as such, especially because sport was my connected to everything. Like, you know, when I played on a Sunday at Roslyn Park, the feeling you'd get from playing well and everyone talking and being like, oh my God, did you see that? So it didn't, I didn't necessarily feel like that until later on when you get older and you reflect on these things. Like that was when I was just young, exuberant, living life. You don't face your traumas till later on in life, do you? You don't go, when you sit in silence, you're like, why is my brain going? Why is it going hundred miles an hour and thinking this and that? And, 
you know, you don't sit back and reflect on your own behaviors. It came out later on. So do you feel you got away with stuff then because your talent at that stage where you were going in playing for Rosin Park, you were good. So people would overlook things that maybe you were doing like answering back to a coach. Yeah, because but I, you were I wouldn't good. do it in a, in a, like a rude way. Like I had this program, we were toward South Africa and it was under 11s and they had like a little snippet for every player. And the thing it said for me, like I found it the other day and it was like, <laughs> uh, Danny is a, a wonderful talent, a wonderful player, and he's a keen advocate to hear what coaches have to say. Like, and it was funny because obviously they were just laughing at the fact that if they were trying to tell me to do something on the field, but I felt something different or saw something different, or if they called a play and I saw something and we scored, they kind of just accepted it and was like, cool, that's Danny. It doesn't quite flow like that in rugby when you get older and so, and so on. You have to build the structure and the framework and so on around it. But um, at 11, you were, you had that self-confidence just to but go it, in your own it way. It didn't feel like self-confidence. I was just being who I was, you know, when you're, you don't feel like I'm a confident kid. I was just living like, that's the, the way I, I operated you. I was in it at school. I remember I got in trouble with my history teacher and um, he was ahead of year and he took me to the headmaster's office and he was being really stern with me and he was like, we're going. And I was like, okay, we're going. We sat down and the headmaster was like, so Danny, how's the rugby going? And I remember the headmaster behind me being, uh, the, the head of year being so angry because he was like allowing me to get away with whatever. So I guess there was a sense of that when you're doing well, going well, oh, things are happening. I'm getting scholarships. I'm, it's working. But when you're in it, you're not yeah, viewing yeah. it like that. We've sat here and had a conversation with Marcus Waring, the chef, about how school let him down because he wasn't like everybody else. Mm. We've spoken to Alex Scott, who felt let down at school because she wasn't like everybody else. Mm. I'd love to explore this sense of embracing difference and then, and allowing people to flourish rather than making everyone fit into the same mold. Like, yeah. you know, you're this outgoing, confident, fascinating, brilliant, talented young guy and you walk into the world of rugby. Do you feel that rugby saw you for what you were and allowed you to flourish? Or do you feel that rugby looked at you and thought, you don't fit the mold of a rugby player. We need to mold you uh, into what's expected. It's, it's tough for me to say because, you know, with some of the things that were going on and, and the experiences I was having, which would be front page news or negative news stories, as a coach, I guess you can see, and that looks a little bit like a risk. Like it doesn't feel like it's going the right way. So I have to take acceptance and accountability of that and, and realize that I can't sit here pointing the fingers at rugby and everything. Otherwise, that's not going to be any remotely beneficial to me. So I had to feel that. But do I have, I felt limitations within the sport for sure. Like it's often spoke about, you know, the diversity and so on. You know, it's, it's not the sport let me down. I just, I feel like no one really sat me down or put an arm around me or spoke to me about early on when I was in, in the newspapers all the time going and going and was like, how are you, Danny? Like, how's it going? I was just kind of left to my own devices as I was as a kid. So again, I'm having to figure out all these things. I'm having to search, I'm having to look. And I've got certain coaches in my life, like say Brian Ashton or Sean Edwards, you know, I'm goddad to his daughter. Um, Steve Black, who came into my life at 24. He recently passed. He's a good man. And I can feel the emotion. I'm cool with it. Um, but yeah, he came into my life when I needed someone to like show me love. And, and ultimately that's what it was. Um, Needing love stemming yeah, from where? Yeah, just because I felt 
so unlovable myself because of all these errors that were happening, all these mistakes and these things and how they were speaking about me in the media. And it was like the view then, you see things and you hear things and as much as you want to like break free from it, it's still there. Like it was at that point until you get comfortable and understand it's just part of the journey and the emotion can come through me when I'm speaking it doesn't mean I sit home thinking about it, ever sad about it, yeah, yeah. you know, it's yeah. speaking about a time that was then. And I can sit here and do that about, I don't even want this to be like a somber interview <laughs> about me, like, oh my God, I'm sad. No, but it's, I, it's not the way, I'm just speaking about I, past experience exactly. and things that were then. Yeah. What was all this about then? I'm really interested for people that don't know the story, like mm. explain to us what were you doing and what was the reaction? I've, I've been in a paper a lot about you know my personal life with with, with with women and such and mistakes like you know in issues that are, had just happened and it was on the front page and it was just negative stories it was just decision making that it wasn't even decision making I felt like it was who I was in my program and I was just doing it and and to like face yourself in those moments you push it down you don't you don't you don't sit there and be like, what am I doing? You just carry on behaving in a certain way, you know, trying to find an escape, whatever that would have been. And for me, it was women or it would have been taking a painkiller or it would have been, you know, whatever it would have been because that would have numbed me enough at that point to feel okay. Escaping what? My thoughts, my feelings, my, my not feeling good enough, you know, the way people spoke about me, like I felt very alone a long time. But that's also because I wasn't really facing myself and accepting and looking at myself and not taking accountability for my behaviors as well as just the life I was in, you know, I was speaking to my physio about it the other day about a lot of my experiences and like he's an angel of a human being. Kevin Lidlow is a shout out. He's just an angel. He's the type of physio who put his hands on you and he'll know exactly what's up with you. But I was speaking to him and he was like, I don't think you should take so much pressure on yourself because, you know, you're in a position where women put themselves in front of you. But I'm like, ultimately, I wouldn't want my son or my daughter behaving in that way because I want to bring them up with the right type of love and, and care and focus for everyone. And it's not, I didn't have that. I was just quite entitled, confident, living my life and not really being guided in how to behave or anything, you know, so. But can I ask you, like mm. some of the stories, say like your involvement with, with, uh, with women, yeah. Did that give you kudos in the dressing room? So we're talking about how coaches might have viewed you skeptically, but amongst your peer group, were they sort of looking at you with a bit of envy, a bit of ad uh, admiration, uh, patting you on the back, thinking that what you were doing was brilliant? I guess there was jokes and stuff about it and, and like people would speak about it, but not in like a negative way or a, it was just part of the, the change room humour, I guess. Sure. But then did that give you that sense, that feeling of love that you were looking for? Because nobody's condemning you in the dressing room for some of these antics, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I guess it probably gave me a sense of like, you're, you're a man, you're doing it. But like, ultimately, you don't feel good internally about it. Sure. You know, it's just, you have this bravado, this mask that you're wearing and you're going through life. And in those environments, it's like, it's such an ego, macho, bravado change room as a rugby environment, as you can tell. Yeah. And I'm always trying to find my way to fit my way to, to be also the leader because naturally my position is that. So not only by the way I'm playing, but the way people treat me off the field. And 
I guess there might have been a part of it, but ultimately it's it stemmed from my own internal struggle that I was behaving in that way. And I'm interested in, in actually what the impact is of all this sort of stuff. Because I think that often we're fooled into thinking just because someone's in the public eye, they deserve criticism or scrutiny or they deserve to be put on the front page of the paper. It comes with the job, right, is the old mm. adage. Can you really tell us the true cost of that level of scrutiny at what is still an immature age, you know, your 20, early 20s? The cost of it is people taking their lives, mate. Do you know what I mean? Like the cost of it's heavy and I lived through it with someone I cared about and like C Caroline and what she went through and she was full, full of shame and regret and all these things. Everyone feels that. Everyone goes through that. But because you're on this pedestal, you don't feel like you can talk or be or share or whatever it is. And it's like, it's not real. And I felt compelled after that to speak things I'd been holding back for a long time because I didn't want people to think that was the way out. Because when I was 22, I felt like that was the way out. So it was so personal. Like suicide. suicide. Yeah, suicide, man. Like that's, that's the cost of it. If you don't, and for some people it's fortunate you meet someone or you have an experience and you don't go down that route. But and what stopped you? <laughs> when I was 22, I was trying to buy a gun and the guy I was trying to buy it off, he was a bit of a gangster in London and whatever. And I would try and get it and he'd cancel it. I'd cancel it because I was like, no. And just to be clear for people, you're talking about buying a gun to take your own life. Yeah. Um, and he didn't know why. He just thought I wanted, wanted a gun in that sense. And um, I kept saying yes and then saying no and bailing on him. Obviously, that's getting in my rate. So he sold all the pictures and the messages to the Sun newspaper. So the Sun newspaper wanted to do a front page story. Dancy Brown's trying to buy a gun. And my psychiatrist had to come in and be like, I never spoke about this, so it's yeah. weird to have these emotions. I don't feel sad, so don't, don't worry about that. Um, but yeah, when, when that happened, it was like, I'm glad it happened because the other way is the other way. And then like sports, beautiful, man, because you can think about the next game, the next session, the next thing. Like there's so many things. If you get a passion in life, like, commit to it, commit to it, live and die into it because it will reveal what it needs to reveal internally about yourself and so on. It's not just the passion of doing something. That's what happened in that situation and they weren't allowed to print it because it was stopped by a psychiatrist. But, you know, it's, it's that type of thing that needs to get addressed and looked at because the way the media run, the way they control things, the way they speak, the narrative of the whole country athletes and so on they may look shiny and glamorous and everything's going well but you don't know the damage it's doing so take know? us beyond the headlines then danny because mm. that's pretty shocking to yeah, hear I know, you know that I know, yeah. you're a 22 year old lad the headline you're good looking lad you're successful you're doing well at rugby you're in the england team you, you that you've got the world at your feet and yet you're telling us that you're making some serious efforts there to take your own life. Take us into that of what precipitated it. What, what, where did those thoughts come from? You mentioned that you're working with a psychiatrist at that moment. So where did that intervention start to 
come into your world? Yeah. I realized I needed to speak to someone because I didn't have a maternal, paternal figure to go speak to. I didn't have, I didn't have a brother or, you know, I had an unbelievable coach in Sean Edwards who looked after me like a son. Yeah. But those, you know, we spoke about a lot of things. I just, you know, to take that step and tell people, it's like, you feel and did, this shame. So Sean advised you to go? And no, see. he didn't advise me to go. I'm just, I'm saying like, I had people around that were great, but I knew I had to go and see someone because of the thoughts I was having and the way that I was thinking. Right. And rugby was my escape. So when you talk about high performance, it's like, that was the easy bit. That was the bit that, made me feel alive that was a bit that made me feel worthy but then as soon as it stopped it's like bang you're straight back into it so how do you how do you figure yourself out how do you figure out your own desires and your own traumas to to sit here in a place of peace like you know so, so what kind of discussions were you having with your psychiatrist and what kind of lessons were you learning that, that could help you do you know what with the psychiatrist it didn't feel relatable when someone's sitting there with a clipboard and you know for me it, f the best thing for me was when I met Steve Black right and and he spoke on a human level and he saw me for me and I was like we've only just met and you're saying all these things that are, re are relatable to me like what just from what he'd seen and the talent and the, and the way I played and you know the snippets he would have seen of me and you know, saying I was like a lovable good guy and all this. And like, you don't feel that about yourself in those moments. Like, well, I didn't, but yet my focus is always on the performance. It's always on going there. So at work and at game day, it's fine. It's that home time period of how do I find peace within this? I remember I met Steve in, in Manchester. I thought we were going to meet for like half an hour. We sat down for four hours. I came away. I was like, I love that man. Like, wow. We started our relationship. Like we'd meet every week, speak all the time and and I've had other key part people in my life that I've met that have taught me so many things and you can learn from, but you, you have to listen to the voice inside. You have to listen to what, what that's saying. And you also have to recognize that your thoughts, then they're, they're not, they're not true. And, and things like meditation and, and things like searching into spirituality for me have like, have brought me the most amount of peace, man. And it's been my quest, my desire, my search, my whole life for more, for these things. So what's been the most effective? It's an accumulation because I can't sit here and be, it's one thing, it's people you love, it's opening up, it's being able to talk, it's sharing, it's, it's doing it with people you trust and getting to a point where you don't mind sharing in a public arena. But you start off by talking to people you trust and letting them, letting them know how you feel because it feels like, how do I get over this? As soon as you share, you drop that mask you be vulnerable, someone responds back in the same way. It happens all the time. And if that person turns around and says something negative, you don't want them in your life because that's not a good friend or a good person to be around. Everyone has their start to life. Everyone has their own experiences, their own traumas, everything they go through, insecurities, fears, worries. But I believe it's your own individual job to become the best version of yourself. And that doesn't mean to be the guy to play for England or to get the money and do that because that's not a fulfilling place to be. Like when I was doing that, I didn't feel super fulfilled. It was momentary and I can't really remember those amazing moments anyway. It's, it's, in, the, it's in memory, that's it. And, it, and you relay it uh, in a different way to what it was then anyway. I was so intrigued into meeting like family men and their, and their environments and how it looked. And I went to a Malibu when I was like 25 and yeah, it's a beautiful, glamorous place. But I met a guy called Laird Hamilton, like this strong macho, surfer who surfs hundred foot waves but is like the most 
beautiful and kind father to his daughters and his wife and people around. And it was like, man, that's, that's cool. And the way he would speak was so open and vulnerable and it just, it brings it out of you. So you immediately create a connection where it's like, this feels freeing. This feels open. It's not either of you wearing a mask and you can have that with people you love, like take those steps of having so those combos. Which has been the environment you've been into where you have felt you really truly belong. You can drop the mask. You can be yourself. I, I felt it as a youngster when I was playing, like for sure. I went into like the most successful WASP team. Sean used to say, call us like an, an orphanage of just r random, uh, an accumulation of people, different people with different walks of life. And we didn't have the most strict training regime, but on Saturday, everyone turned up and it was just a really good feel. It was, it was an unbelievable environment to go into. But like, as things happen in sport, it changes all the time. So you don't, hold on to that forever you have new experiences new people and you come up against different hurdles so that that felt great and again going back to us the second time was great for me because we had a change room which you know was we had like 10 12 people in our change room and it was like our safe space and everyone got really close and it was a beautiful environment um but again i wasn't in a position then like i am now being able to speak about these things i was still going through what i was going through in life and the performance never really wavered when I came back from Australia at 24. It was, it was at a high level, but then I wasn't getting what I wanted to get. I wasn't playing for England and there were so many things that were coming up against me and I had to accept a lot of it, but there was things that were like, were out of my control. And again, you dive deep, you dive internally, like how can you find peace with it? How can you be happy and enjoy that that happened because there's a lesson there's something to learn from everything and that's how i handle things now and that's how i view things the the experiences i'm excited for them whether this comes across great or bad it's not in my control i can just speak my truth and be truthful and and vulnerable in that sense and and the rest of it's not really down to me i'm sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. There will be some of your former coaches listening to this, I've no mm. doubt. What advice would you give them that maybe they could have done to create an environment and a culture that would have allowed you to thrive? Well, I've studied a lot of this. I've looked at different coaches and sportsmen and people, and you know, the best coaches are the ones that are the most emotionally intelligent, right? Sean Edwards, unbelievably so. He's lived life, he's been through it. He will share and you will go and, and do everything for him because he's as vulnerable and open with you as you are with him, you know, but there is a, a culture in rugby of being the man or the macho or the, or the, you know, coming across like you know it. And that can feel good. Like you think you know it, but ultimately you don't, we don't. It's like having that tie to a coach and being able to share and have that emotion. You know, you don't see that so much in rugby. There's certain coaches across the league that definitely get it right. You know, it's not the whole sport as a whole. You know, not everyone can be Pep Guardiola. Not everyone can get that emotional 
engagement with his athletes but that's where it needs to go that's where it needs to grow that's where you need to see it and in doing so performances will skyrocket you'll see more creativity on the field you'll see it looking more like artwork and people will generally be happier and not having to just like come to work get on with it and and get out because there's a lot of unhappy people within it as there is in life you know and what do you think inhibits people from doing what sean edwards did for you with being vulnerable and your own personal work your own internal work of what you go through what you experience and and how you view it are you in a blame culture are you not accepting you know this position you're in you know are you not being truthful are you trying to hold a facade are you wearing a mask like all these are like emotionally intelligent conversations to have internally with yourself and not feel like oh yeah i've got it everyone's got it like you know everyone doesn't like we we have that like I say, facade that people um, carry. So yeah, it's. I think it's just connecting a bit deeper as a, as a group. And you see that in some of the best performances. You see that when you see a South African team and they're rooted in history and, and heritage and they live and they die for each other. And it's like, how do you create that? How do you do that? Well, I'm interested. You, you mentioned South Africa. We, had, we were lucky enough to have Sia Khaleesi on the podcast who spoke around when he took over as a leader it was all about vulnerability of that theme of ubuntu i am because you are so i'll be my authentic self Mm -hmm. to allow you to do that beautiful man so can you give us some tips on what you've experienced that if people wanted the might be listening to this say in a classroom as a teacher or as a business leader or even as a father uh, of a family like jake and i are what can we do to create emotional intelligence in our own spaces. When you're trying to teach or you're trying to discipline or you're trying to show, you, you streamline your behaviors along that. But when you're in a two-way relationship, whether it be a, a child or a player or, or a student, that's the type of relationship where you're open and you're vulnerable and you're, you're honest and you share your truth and you behave as such and you are truthful and so on and so on. That's something to look up to and lead by as well as the feeling you get as a player or a student or a child would be, you feel engaged, you feel seen, you feel part of it. You feel like we're going through. And I know it's easy to, 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 to think you have to discipline and to do these things. And of course there'll be moments, you know, that, that happens. But the only thing that we have on them is age. Like there's no title that gets given, oh, dad or mum, you're still human being, you're just older and you've, you've learned a bit more. So how would you deliver that to a, a child or a student or a player? Like how would you share your true experiences, your pitfalls? So I feel like I know this person, I know that guy, I'm going out for them all week. Because you can feel the disconnect. Like I felt it in so many different ways in my life and I'm trying to live my truest authentic self and and be as real as I can. And in doing so, magic happens, man. I married a beautiful woman, like amazing. I never thought that'd ever be my story. Why not? Because I was in that program of behaving the way I was. And I remember when I was young, I had older athletes, senior players telling me like, stay single, Danny, play the field. And I'm, I'm an impressionable 17, 18 year old kid. I listened to that. I'm like, okay, all right. I'll go do that. And I did that. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? And it didn't cause me happiness and fulfillment. You know, it can 
hit your ego and you can feel like this and that, but like you don't ever want to have that manipulation power on someone else because that's what it is really when you're in a scenario, but you know what the truth is and you know you don't want to commit, but I'm going to manipulate you so I can get what I want. And it's like, as much as you want to behave like that, that's going to bear on your soul at some point. And what was the moment when you did finally face, like look in the mirror and realize I don't like what I'm doing here? Man, like life intervened. I, I met my wife. We got pregnant. Um, and then I committed and I said that, you know, I want to get to know you to the best of my ability. And she did the same. I was vulnerable and open. And it was the first time I was like, this is me. This is everything I got. We did it on the phone because in a different country for a long time. And in doing so, I fell in love with her. In two weeks on the phone, I was like, I can't wait to go back and see her. Got back, spent every day with her. And it's like, doesn't mean it's perfect every day, but you're still bringing your own past and your own issues to the relationship. But the commitment and the space she held for me to be loved and show me who I am really allowed me to come into my own, step into who I am who I feel I've always been. And yeah, a special man. <laughs> How old were you when you said that to her? This is, this is who I am. This is me being vulnerable. Uh, like 31 after two, 32. So that's, a, that's a long life to live without opening up like that. For people who are still in the place where you were a decade before that, how freeing is it to say that? What would your advice be to them? You know around you who loves you. That's always been a question of mine because of my life with my dad leaving and my mum not being, you know, you, you never get what you want as a kid, no matter what, everyone's got their own thing. There's no slight on my mum. She's a great woman in, in everything that she is, but you want that affection, that love, that kindness, whatever it is. And and you didn't have that? No, I, I, I didn't. And, but she was great in so many other ways. That was just the way she showed love. And, until you can reflect and really understand it, you can't speak the truth on it and you mask over it and you cover it. Um, so to feel lovable or like I mattered or whatever it was, it was an issue of mine. I didn't feel that. I didn't know who I could turn to. My own mum and dad, I couldn't really turn to them. So who am I turning to? Um, I never allowed anyone close enough to really share or open up until the universe, God, whatever, intervened. And, you know, we, we lost the baby at 27 weeks, which is tough, but the beauty is he brought us together, my wife and I, and he gave me a chance to be here and be like, this is who I am. Amazing. This is what I've been through. Yeah. I'm not perfect, I never claimed to be, but I'm, I'm willing to bear all and be real because I feel as a culture, English culture, I feel as a sporting country, I believe we're behind the eight ball. I believe we're behind it. We don't, the way we speak about each other um, in the media and so on, as I mentioned, I don't think it allows us to fully get into our authentic selves because we're all trying to be a type of way because we don't want people to know the truth because the truth is terrible. No, it's not. Everyone goes through the same things. It's just a different spotlight. It's a different version. You know, everyone's got something you can learn from everyone. Everyone can be relatable. Everyone has those emotions. 
And I hope that that's something that can get changed and it can do. And I see somewhere like America where I feel their athletes get to own their own narrative and they get to be more authentic. And you see the levels of performance and the genius and the talent, and the consistency, but also they have a lot of fun off the field and they make changes and they go to communities and they build and they create massive, better environments for people that they were like when they were younger and so on and so on. And I believe we miss a, a huge disconnect or a potential or an opportunity in this country to do so because we have this stiff upper lip mentality, this English culture, this, which has got so many positives to it, but just relaxing and being vulnerable and being truthful. Why is that seen as such a, an outrageous thing to do in this country? Like it shouldn't be, it should be real. And then people aren't carrying what they carry. And then people don't want to do what, you know, unfortunately people end up doing. And I think one of the most important things we can all do is, is take responsibility in this situation because I'm sure there are people listening to this going, well, the bloody media causing Danny all those problems when he was a rugby player or whatever. Yeah. But I think we all have to understand our, the, uh, the role that we all play For in sure. this, our, our own addiction to negative news, For sure. our own social media pylons, you know, your, your former partner and the whole, you know, be kind conversation. I'm sure that was an especially hard period for you because you'd been through this and you know she would no doubt have come to you to say how can I get through this period and you were there and I know you shared a lot with her about what you'd experienced but ultimately it wasn't enough to save her but I see all that and then I see us going back to the way we were minutes minutes later not even days later yeah you're spot on and hate or anger never solves anything and us being like oh it's them and so on it's just going to create a bigger divide mm. and it will create an even more fanfare and welfare to have negative news you know on the motorway when you're driving there's a crash on the side why is there always a cure of traffic on the other way because they want to see like it's in our nature but also you know how do we change that how do we have these open honest conversations because Consciousness is moving around us everywhere. Everyone's becoming more awake or aware or whatever it might be. And I just feel like we can make create a shift. Like there are so many platforms and opportunities for us to do so. 20 years ago when I started, I, I couldn't have put a tweet out after a negative story because it didn't exist. I couldn't create a show or do an interview or give a video and say what I wanted to say. So as much as there is lots of negativity around the social media and the, you know, comparing yourself to others, there can also be lots of beauty within it, like everything. And being true, being honest and being open, not only do other people benefit because they feel more comfortable, you benefit because you realize you're not carrying this weight, this jacket, this lead. I walk down the street and I, I say hello to everyone I meet with a smile on my face. Like, he must think I'm a crazy guy, but from where I was, I say hello every day. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just the way I feel now. As I'm listening to you, Danny, I, I, the thought keeps coming into my head that I think your talent has got in the way of you discovering this for so long. I think people have forgiven you lots of things because you're a talented rugby player. And when you maybe sometimes don't live up to the talent, seeing you as a human being and your fallibilities and your own rawness has almost been neglected. So then that's why you felt like these horrible moments mm. of considering suicide and things like that, feeling hollow at the heart of it. I'm interested as to, one, why would you consider going back into a world where 
those perceptions of can he still do it on the rugby field? He's going to get in the way of seeing the human being behind it. But secondly, what would you do instead to start to shift the narrative of these conversations for a community as a whole? I feel my talent allowed me to find out who I am though, because being in the moment was where I excelled. And I feel like I'm in that now in my walk of life, my everyday conversations, because being present is all that we have. And previously I'm living in past thoughts or I'm living in what I want to be in the future. Whereas now, where I, how I felt on the field is how I live my everyday. Okay. And even till six months ago, the realizations, the understandings, the awareness of what's coming to me, it's changing all the time, you know? And that's beautiful. There's, you, you can't hold on to something and feel like I've got it now. Because then the next thing that comes and throws you off, you know, you realize you've got to let go again. You've just got to be who you are. And I'm now in a position where I want to go back into that world and play with this frame of mind because I won't have to do the thing to get into the zone. I can just go and enjoy it. I can go and enjoy my everyday, my interactions. I'm not trying to get somewhere or be this person or look like I've got it all figured out. Yeah. Like when it comes to understanding the game of rugby or sport, that was, that was a gift of mine. I didn't do anything for that. I was always going to be Danny Cipriani. I was born and I played sport and I was, it was, I wasn't very good at maths. Like there's lots of things I wasn't good at, but playing sport was, was my talent. And like I say, live and die into your passion, go into it because whatever your desire is, it will allow you to figure out more about who you are too. And the reason why I want to go and play a game like rugby, which has certain limitations with a certain perception of how it tries to upkeep to go and play in this way and be who I am, man, that would be, that would be the most beautiful thing. So in terms of understanding performance, I get it. Like I've, I've lived it, um, but there's lots of things that I still want to learn about it. You know, that came across a bit egotistical. It wasn't, I didn't mean it to be, but I was just saying like, that wasn't the difficult part for me. I don't think it came across egotistical. <laughs> I think it came across honest. Uh, yeah. And that's where we have to get to, but it's e even that is an example of how society makes you think what will the perception of that comment be? Yeah, exactly. Rather than exactly. what is the truth about that comment? You know, that feeling of being judged. And let's talk about where you're at with that then, because you know, there aren't very many professional athletes that talk in this way. And there'll be people that love this conversation. And the, we know the world we live in, right? There'll be people that use this as a stick to beat you with, or they try and pick apart one little comment, take it out of context. How are you with all that now? Well, no, no one can infect, affect my, my internal feeling on myself. Becoming in control of your own faculties, for me, is your sole responsibility in your life because therefore you have more beautiful conversations. You yeah. have true conversations because you're not projecting your thought onto someone because you don't have a feeling about it. So if you're having a discussion or a heated discussion with your partner or your, or your son or whatever, you, you can come at it with your true sense, mm. not any feeling of, oh, I feel like this or that, because controlling your own internal well-being is everything. And, you know, whatever people want to call it awakening or spirituality or faith, the simple reason that we're here is unexplainable. So surely we have to go a bit deeper internally to figure out these questions and, and get some sort of insight on it. And yeah, it, it, do you know what? Like every, every club I've been to, in my career, 
I've always been aware of how it's going or the attack situation. And I've taken a grip of it and I've been like, this is how I want it to go. And there's got some success out of it. But this previous season recently, I was able to sit back and just watch it all. And in doing so, I was learning so much about myself and my own things about why I wanted to speak and why what I wanted to say. And these were part of the internal things that I had to look at and face, understand where's that coming from? Why am I wanting to do that? This wasn't me going in saying, look, we have to play this way because I know this will get success. And like I said, rugby was the, the easy part, the enjoyable part, the fun part. But when I was sat back, the amount of things that were coming through me and my, my wife um, was the one who suggested that I don't go in there and try and run the ship and do the thing. And in doing so, I learned so much about myself that year and, and so on. And it's, it's, it keeps going and it keeps going. And sometimes silence is good. Sometimes listening is good, you know, meditation, not even sometimes, a lot of the time. You know, if you can sit back and listen to that internal voice and not try and distract yourself and not try and numb it and not try and always be busy or playing golf every single day. Like, you know, those things are great. Those are your passions, but you've also got to recognize, am I doing this as a distraction or not? And those are the honest conversations with yourself. Those are the, the depths you need to go and, and, and where it can go with, with all of it. And what's the reason for you choosing now to talk like this? Because some people can look at the tears in your eyes and think, oh, he's still struggling with his mm -hmm. past story. But I don't think that's the case at all. I think like the tears are almost this sense of freedom that you've got, that you're no longer there. But I also sense that you've got this desire to take people with you now and open up this way of thinking to other people. It's true what you say, like people see oh, the tears and think, oh, that's, that's soft, that struggle. What a facade, man. Like, yeah. again, like what are we talking about here? Like that is such a, an archaic mentality and it, it is something that is deep embedded in our system, unfortunately, right now. And you're right, I, I do have a desire and a passion to take people this way because I know the greatness that can come on the back of it. I know with the sessions that I'm doing and the way I'm training that the outcomes are incredible, but I'm not trying to get these outcomes. The energy state's different, you know. I, I, I train a lot with Johnny in, in what we do and you sit back and you just... You enjoy it. You're like, okay, I'm not trying to control any of this, but there's deep internal work you do to get there to allow it to come out. And, you know, there's so many moving parts in the rugby field and situation. And But for me, like the exciting part is if something happens or arises in these next six, nine months, um, going in without rugby game time, but then being able to express yourself fully, that will also be like, something's going on here. So like, I would love that opportunity. But like I said, it would take someone to take a, not a risk, but be open-minded. And I've had some great conversations with some great coaches across the world that think and view life like that. And I've seen how their team plays and what they say, and I've phoned them and had great conversation with them. So if the opportunity arises, that's cool. And, you know, like you say, there'll be some people that will see it as soft and, and or whatever the mentality might be, but it's real. You can't hide down these emotions. Like, I can't, I can't tell you how happy I am every day. Really? I can't tell you how happy I am to feel these emotions and sit here and do this. I had no idea how this was going to go. You know, I had these ideas and these fears of being like, how can I talk about high performance? I didn't become the guy. And I was like, nah, you just got to be real, man. Because like I said, the performance at times definitely didn't waver. 
and under the pressure and the scrutiny I was under and how I felt, I'm really proud of myself for what I did. But I also can't own it because, like I said, it felt like the release, the easy part. But yeah, there's so many stories I could tell along the way which were putting me under this pressure and I had to go and play and it just, it became my freedom. Um, but now I feel like I live like that. Amazing. It's been an absolute pleasure to sit here and, and discuss that journey. <laughs> I, like, I just want people to realise though, just how many people are like that and how we love to pass judgment. You know, we've had conversations with Tyson Fury and Max Whitlock and Alex Scott and, you know, athlete after athlete after athlete who is dying on the inside, performing on the outside, and the whole world is passing an opinion on them. And it is toxic and it is everywhere. And I don't know if it's getting better. We're, we're extremely privileged to have a platform to speak about it. And the difficult pass part is I feel facing yourself the acceptance the responsibility the accountability and being good with it and then realizing I can move through that now and you know the amount of spiritual things I get into and listen to and podcasts and things I'm interested in now that I never thought I'd be interested in at school I wasn't that way I, I wasn't interested in that way of thinking but the things I, I go into now fascinate me you feel the words, you don't just read them and see them. And that's that internal work. But like I said, we're privileged to come and speak and share these things. It shouldn't be a, a worry or an issue. You shouldn't be having to control everything so my athlete doesn't look like he's stepping out of line because ultimately everyone makes mistakes. And it doesn't mean that you can just speak your truth and continue behaving as such because the only person that will struggle or have issue with that is yourself. You can't lie to yourself. You, you, you can't. And the more true you are, the more honest you are, the more you accept it and the way you can move through it. I believe it's our opportunity to, it's our privilege to share our stories because I'm comfortable walking down the street after this, having people see me shed a tear. You know, when Caroline passed, I felt compelled to let people know that's not the way. And it might've been seen as not a good career move. And it probably wasn't because when I went back to my club, I felt so vulnerable. I was playing in a great team, but I'm walking around feeling like people don't really know how to handle me now. Like you'd, you'd look like yeah, a yeah. loose cannon in, in an environment. So well, because you up, spoke out about well, Caroline's death. Well, on the Monday, I, I spoke to them about all the things that I ended up pretty much speaking about on that because I just had to shake it off. I was like, it's too much. It's too much. Mm. And, you know, I, I left my contract early. All the stories around it were Danny again. He never settles in. He did this or did that. It's none of that. I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't feel I was able to go and express myself truly because I didn't feel like I could get respected or lead a team when that wasn't the scent, that wasn't the energy I was feeling. Because the season before, we went to playoffs. We killed it. I got Players Player of the Year. But the narrative around me leaving was so negative. And again, Danny's done this and Danny's done that. When I was talking to people that follow the sport mm. and I said, oh, we're interviewing Danny. Have you got any questions? Is there anything you'd like to, <laughs> yeah. you'd like to ask or no? And if I asked five people, right, I'd say out four of them didn't ask anything about the rugby. It was all about asking about that time he got hit with the bus, asking about when he got arrested in Jersey, ask him, and and it was all perceptions of you from media headlines mm. that what I'd like to do is, cause that's not the impression I have of you sat here 
meeting today. So what what's the biggest misconception about you that people that are drawn to those headlines, what would you like to say to them? I don't know, just watch this interview, I guess, and make your own mind up. There's, there's nothing I can say to them to change their view and it's not it's not in my makeup. Like, there definitely was a time that I felt a desire to do that, but let's just hold back on the judgment as a human being because if you're a judgmental person, yeah. guess who else you're judging yourself? You know, you're judging your own day-to-day interactions, the way you look physically and all these different things. Because if you are outwardly like that, you're internally like that. You can't mask either or, or do it. It has to be a, a collective. So for your own sake, don't do that, you know, because I promise you when you aren't walking the street judging others, you might start seeing the beauty in others and the beauty in life. I hope that for everyone, man. Like, if I did this interview a couple of years ago, I would have come across so angry and bitter at certain coaches and things. But like, I'm grateful and appreciative for it all because... I understood it was for me to learn and grow through and, and become. And yeah, some things perhaps didn't pan out how I wanted it to pan out. But you know what? I sit peacefully at night. Life's going to come. It doesn't mean I've got it sorted at all. Like no doubt other things are going to happen in the world where it affects you. But my ability to handle it now, I believe is in a, a much better state. And it doesn't mean that it's always great, but the consistency of my happiness is, is unparalleled to how I used to feel. And my desire, my need for numbing myself or this, I don't have that. I wake up at five, I do a meditation and I feel great afterwards. And my day's great. My interactions are great. Even if they might be a bit conflicting and you have those conversations with your wife and your son and your friends, <laughs> I'm loving life. So if you're going to have those judgments, watch this and see how you feel. And if it makes you feel a type of way, great. And if not, great. It's interesting though, isn't it? The people are so fascinated by that. Like, why does it, actually, why does it matter? It's kind of a total irrelevance to their life, isn't it? But it's this voyeuristic obsession with like, what are other people doing? How are they doing? Yeah. I I feel the media do it because, I don't know, it's, if you're doing that, it kind of makes you feel like, okay about your own life because that guy's really fucking up. Do you know what I mean? And, (laughs) But we've got an unbelievable opportunity to, as an athlete, to share your story and be real. And I think if I saw that when I was young, that would have been different, you know. I particularly look at our young footballers because we've got some unbelievably talented players, but they're having to turn it on and off. And you see that with the way they interview. And now you've got to go be a genius. And now you've got to be in a straight jacket. It doesn't work like that. It's difficult to stay on that keep doing that because life will come at you life stories will happen you see that with really talented kids you know the Phil Foden's and the Jacks and how everyone gets onto it it's like how are they meant to go and fulfill themselves and and live and be their greatest potential their truest potential if we're constantly trying to claw back at them to make them feel like us in a negative sense but they they are just like us they have the same emotions let's be real open and honest and find out what they are we might create an even better sports environment. We might create athletes that kids really look up to, not just because of the talent they've got, because of the human they are. I reckon you could change a whole nation in their mentality and what you're doing. Brilliant. We have some quick fire questions that we always finish our interviews okay. with. And I'm looking forward to these with you. What are the three non-negotiables that you and the people around you must buy into? Truth, vulnerability, and love. 
being true to yourself, being able to be vulnerable and coming from love, you know, you're always going to find the right answer at some point and it, it, it can get streamlined in that way. And if I could have three and a half, I'd be like accountability too or acceptance, one of the two. Nice. What advice would you give to a teenage Danny just starting out? Good luck. It's coming for you. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's coming for you. And at some point, it will all figure itself out. What is your biggest strength and what is your greatest weakness? Depends what circles you're asking. I guess vulnerability can be seen as a strength or weakness, but, you know, it's allowed me to step into who I am and, and own it. So I guess vulnerability covers both ends of the spectrum. What is one thing about you that we don't know that we should? I went to Venice recently and we listened to this violin quartet. It was so moving, incredible. Like it was a game changer. I loved it. I'm a classical musical fan. Very nice. And this is the final one really. And this is your last message really to people that have listened to this. What is your one final message to them for living a high performance life? Be true to yourself, uh, accept things that come. And from that place, you can move through it and, and live and die in your passion. Like mm. Go into it, go into it, give yourself, give it everything. Whether you get the outcome you desire or not, it will show you what you need to know about yourself to grow as a human being, to fulfill your potential in life because high performance is your whole life. It's not segregated to your career or whatever it might be. So it's important that you use that in every aspect of your life and in doing so, you'll feel fulfilled, you'll feel in the moment, you'll feel present. And when life throws all the shit things at you, you'll be able to handle it. Fantastic. Damien. Jake. That conversation with Danny, um, I mean, wow, it was amazing. But I think it just comes back to the, the fundamental basic need of every human being, which is to be loved. That's exactly it. And I think listening to his story and trying to process it, I think for a long time, he was loved because of what he could do with a rugby ball in his hands and how he could dictate the terms of play or, you know, he was loved for the anecdotes and the stories that maybe took place off the field. When actually what he was looking for was somebody just to love him without caveats, for somebody to love him just for to see him for who he was and the person that that he was trying to become. You know, like he described meeting his, his current wife and how she just loved him and saw him without the mask on. And how he was almost wishing that that could have been the case with coaches and his colleagues as well. There's something going on here though, isn't there, with our, with our sports people? Because we've spoken to a lot of them that for whatever reason, the sport or the media or the fans or society or social media or expectation twists everybody up. So that by, by the end of it, so many of them are, are, are restricted. They're like, they're tight. They're, there's no freedom anymore. And all of that then alters performance, it alters entertainment, it alters enjoyment. And then it leads to more opinion and more criticism and more derogatory comments. We've got to find a way as society to break free of this need for an opinion over empathy. Like, why can't we have empathy for the situation that people are in, even when they're flawed and making mistakes, as Danny openly admits to? Yeah, because I think it's that saying that we don't see people as they are, we see them as we are. And I think seeing people's flaws, their foibles, their 
their like their cracks in the character actually should make these people more relatable for us. We should look at Danny and say he's a kid from a council estate that's from a broken home, and yet, despite some of those challenges, he rose to the top of his summit. Did he stay there for as long as he would have wanted? No, maybe not. But actually, let's look at what he did achieve and the positives of that, yeah. rather than look to drag him down and focus on why he didn't sustain the success at that high level for as long as what other maybe other people maybe thought he should have done. And we give them no leeway. They're, you know, they're quite often young people finding their way, like give them some space, give them some opportunity. But, you know, I actually like, I feel it was a positive conversation. Like I don't want people to see the shots of him crying or hear him crying and that very honest admission about, you know, wanting to buy a gun to take his own life. You know, that, that feels like in many ways, a different person was, yeah. was, was making those decisions. And actually the tears are not tears of sadness. They're almost tears of relief that, that he's managed to break free of that. He's found real like serenity, man. He's exploring it. There's a, there is a freedom now to him. Yeah. You know, he used that phrase himself. He's taken the mask off. So we're not seeing some confected image that he's trying to sell to the media or to advertisers. He's saying, this is me and I can't control whether you like me or whether you don't. I can't control if you've got an opinion uh, of me that's positive or negative, but I can just be myself. And I think the more of us find that freedom to do that, to live a life without masks, the more powerful and more vulnerable we become. And as he said himself, vulnerability equates to power. And they roll off the tongue, the names of the young sports people who are in the position that he was in, who were we're now criticizing and questioning and, you know, testing to their limits. I would just challenge everyone listening to this to change the way they think, change the way they operate, change the things they buy, change the platforms they surf and just try and bring a positivity to your life, which brings a positivity to their life, which brings a positivity to society as a whole. Yeah. It's a tight old cliche to sort of sit here and go, oh, it's like to use like just an abstract phrase, like it's the media. Well, what does that mean? Because the, the, like, and how do I affect it? Well, the answer is, well, I can't even define it in terms yeah. that I can grasp. So I think it's about the decisions that we make and how we choose to, like you say, rush to judgment, rush to give an opinion on somebody and start to see that, well, in that case, we become the media if that's what we're choosing to do as well. Yeah. So just take a pause, take a breath and maybe try and imagine I would do the same if I was living your life. And, you know, that old phrase, you know, that about small minds talk about people. Like, I've tried to check myself on this quite a lot recently. You know, before you talk about someone, well, is it truthful? Like, do you know absolutely the thing you're about to tell me about that person is the truth, right? Yeah. The second caveat, is it helpful for them for you to tell me this? Yeah. If not, there's no, what's the point? Final one, is it helpful for me? So if it's helpful for me and them, and it's totally true, great. But if it doesn't meet those three criteria... Don't share it. Just walk on by. I love that. And if there's anyone there listening to this that go, that really resonates with me, and I'd like to know more about that. Do you remember when we spoke with Mo Gowda around this and he had almost had his checklist in his head that was those three questions that said, once you start getting into the habit of asking them, you suddenly give yourself access to a world of happiness that maybe felt beyond us. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I, Mo was spot on as usual. Thanks a lot, mate. Thank you, Jake.
All right, let's meet another high performer, shall we? Because Sam Thomas reached out to us on High Performance to tell us not only is he an avid listener of the podcast, he read the book, he came to the live show. We love people like this, don't we, Damien? Yeah, we do. Thank you for coming, Sam, and thanks for being a guest today. Oh, it's an awesome to be on here. As I say, I'm a, a massive fan, so this is a bit of a bit of a dream come true for me today, I'm not going to lie. Oh, thank you. Amazing. Well, let me just explain to people then at home how the podcast has helped to change your life. We don't ever say that we've done it because the work is all yours, buddy. It was already within. We just helped to unlock it. You've got involved as a trustee for a local children's charity and also launched your own podcast as well. So tell us how High Performance impacted you yeah sure i think um for me during lockdown so i run a couple of businesses and one obviously was an events-based company that that obviously had to stop during during lockdown couldn't do anything it's sport sporting events so that was uh, how scary was that sam running a business as you do could be yeah really tough at times so during that period you know uh, uh, it was based around football and pool and golf so we network through sport and then yeah, it hits you hard. You sort of like actually every aspect of income had to stop. So you, but you look at it and you try and pivot and you look at different ways. But so for me, income for the business completely stopped. Then I looked at whatever I could do that. I launched a FIFA league, which was, which was quite cool. But for me, I think that in regards to the high performance side of things, I'd never listened to a podcast before. And a friend of mine had sent me a link to it. He said, you should listen to this. Um, and I got, went on my daily runs most mornings and and I, I listened to the Rio Ferdinand one was the first one and I was hooked from then. Um, and it just sort of, as I say, it's sort of just the, the impact, listen to the different stories, then Stephen Bartlett and all entrepreneurs, just listen to stuff that sort of actually the struggle and stuff that I've going through as an entrepreneur and a business owner um, just really hit home for me. So it was absolutely amazing, really. And it, like, just the lessons that you learn and knowing that there's so many people that, that these high performers, these high people that are doing doing well and success and what that looks like. But we all go through that struggle and that process. And I think, um, and I was certainly in that at the time. So it really, really did uh, hurt, help me. And what was the biggest lesson that you learned that you could directly apply to your world? I think certainly... <laughs> I was always someone that was chasing something. So you sort of like, um, I think Stephen Bartlett mentioned in his one about that euphoria moment. Like, you, you know, he promised himself that this, you know, get to that point where you become a multi-millionaire. And, and he mentions that that was a bit of an anti-climax. For me, certainly, I was always chasing, oh, I'm going to get there, I'm going to get there. People would say to me, how are you getting on, Sam? And, yeah, yeah, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. And what actually happened then for, for me, you go, Actually, what am I chasing? It's actually trying enjoying the process and the journey, and even those struggles that you, you, when you are in, that's part of that journey, and that's what you've got to try and enjoy. So, can I ask you about your own podcast, then, Sam? I'm, I'm interested in what the what the premise of it is, but more importantly, can you give Jake and me any tips on uh, how to get the best out of guests? <laughs> Mine is all about just talking to locals. So I run a company called County Business Clubs and we launched the podcast all about sharing company stories on a local level. So I'm based in Brighton in Sussex. So I talk to local entrepreneurs and business owners about their journey. Um, as I said, it was the high performance that inspired me to start mine, really. Just the lessons talking about I've had businesses that I've had to close and 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 failures and stuff and what that looks like to me and then i'll speak to business owners about the stuff that i, I sort of struggle with so work-life balance um is, is something I, I struggle with um i've got a young family as i sort of mentioned so we've got that running you know a couple of different businesses so the entrepreneurs that come on and they talk about their journeys a success failure culture um 
they're the main things I sort of cover on on a sort of local level. Um, and it's been great because I've spoken to people from oh, Kevin Byrne who's sold Checker Trade for 90 million. But again, back to that thing, the thing I learned from that was that same with him, like it was that anti-climax moment. He got to the thing where he sold a company worth 100 million nearly, and yet he still, it, what he talked about was the passion of running the business. He wishes to add what he had after the selling the business. There's that slight anti-climax. And I think that was certainly for me something that, you know, and I just love having the conversation with people. I love having that uh, and the learnings that I can get from these, from different entrepreneurs. So um, I don't know what advice I can give you guys, but certainly um, I, I'm learning lots of news just in regards to just, just every, my, my belief is everyone's got a story to tell and um, whether they're just starting out on a, on a business journey or like you say, they've sold a hundred million pound business. We've all, we all suffer some ups and downs, success, failures, imposter syndrome, all those things in between. Listen, there is no yet, right? As uh, a certain Matthew McConaughey came on the podcast and said, and I love the fact that you've realised that people who are searching for the destination are the ones who are effectively delaying their own happiness. And you've realised that it's about the journey. It's about learning every single day, growing and realising that I think that there isn't going to be a moment where suddenly all the stress leaves and all the happiness arrives. You know, it is a constant progress. And um, I, I, I love the things you've had to say. So thank you so much, man. Listen, gen genuinely, thanks, thanks so much, gents. It's, um, it honestly is a real privilege to be on, and um, I can't thank you enough. It's been uh, everything I've learned from the podcast, the book, and everything has been been epic. So um, I'm yeah, truly honoured and grateful. And that's it. As always, huge thanks goes to you for growing and sharing this podcast among your community. A huge, huge thanks to Danny for coming on and talking in the way he did. I have huge respect for him, for what he's done, and also for what I know he's going to do in the future. Please continue to spread what you're learning from this series. I love all the feedback. I love the messages. I love the conversation. Um, and please keep it coming. Keep it going. Keep spreading it. People need to hear this stuff. This can change lives. This can change the world we live in. There's so much negativity about. Send this to someone now and give them an injection of positivity and understanding and growth. Thanks to Finn and Hannah, to Will, Eve, Gemma, Callum, the whole team on the podcast. Remember, there is no secret. It is all there for you. So chase world-class basics. Don't get high on your own supply. Remain humble, curious, empathetic, and we'll see you soon. <laughs>